All right, so what what's like a typical size burger for you? Just a single patty. Single patty. I'm gonna go six to eight ounces. Okay, so but I, I also prefer them thin. So, so you would say you would prefer six, right? So, I would go thin but heavy. So like I don't like the hockey pucks because I grew up eating those, and I'm just it, okay. it just turns me off at this point. Plus, I think you can. I know sometimes some people say they're more juicy. But honestly, I like the surface area, and I like a bigger, wider burger. Because sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. like you have on the bun, the bun um, is bigger, and then you have all the ingredients that are bigger. Like the lettuce is huge, the tomatoes are huge, and you have a small yeah, burger. Definitely. So you want to you want to have an equal bite all around. That's my philosophy. Okay, so this was a ten dollar smash burger. Okay, it it Literally. was smash burger, like the company smash burger. No, oh, it, it's the, but they do like the. Flat iron grill, smashing the ball of meat. Okay. So it's ten bucks. Just just keep that in mind when I when I'm going through this. Ten dollar burger. It it's a four ounce patty. Ew. And all I got on it was cheese. Ten bucks. That sounds like. That sounds like a falsely luxury false luxury version of, uh, Five Guys. Yeah, so the patty didn't even fit on the bread. Um, but I, I was like, okay, if it's a decent smash burger, I, I could understand it. I live out of short town, so ev- everything's going to be inflated. But Right. Yeah, so I, I take my first bite. Meat has little to no seasoning. Mm. And it's overcooked. Oh, man. No, so, ju- no juices or anything? It's kind of like No juice. I'm waiting for shit to drip on my hands, but nothing. What's this place called? I, I I don't want to do that to them, you know? We blow up, and then they're like, oh, fuck that Jimmy guy. <laughs> but I, I will tell you this, though. So they also own the coffee shop that's just opened up next to them. And a little about the people that opened them up, they're wannabe influencers. This dude was a high school football star, but it got, like, injured his senior year. Mm-hmm. So, he starts dating this girl who wants to be an Instagram model, and then they're like, I want a coffee shop. So, they open up a coffee shop where a regular cup of coffee is five, six bucks. Oh, my God. And then they open up a, it's supposed to be a fast food burger joint, but it's ten bucks for the cheapest burger. So, they own the same, they own the, both of them. The same people yeah. own it? Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Dude, I'm There's looking just it up two right overpriced now. things right next to each other. Oh, I know exactly which one it is. Let me see. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And like, I, I understand we live in a short town, but you got to cater to the locals, the people that are here, 365 days a year. Oh, I, and, I'm just the picture of the burger. So I'll tell you what already just looks off to me. The cheese looks really dark. I like. Yeah, it, it was an oddly dark yellow American. Yeah, and maybe that's like a maybe it was a cheddar because sometimes cheddar when you melt cheddar it looks like it's almost like um, mm, like the sauce on uh, yeah uh, mac and cheese like Kraft mac and cheese not like the Vel- mm-hmm. Velveeta good stuff. Wait, if it was cheddar, it was literally the most mild cheddar I've ever had. Huh. Well, here you here you have it, folks. Uh, Shitty burger. 
Yeah. On the beach. That, that's how I started my second shift, but... You don't like that. Welcome, your beautiful faces, back. Episode number six of The Second Shift. Where our days just... Or no, sorry about that. Well, foo pa. Your day's just getting over and ours is just getting started. <laughs> Today we're sorry, talking got... about the second installment in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, The Two Towers. The Two Towers. Yes, yes. I, I feel like, honestly, this movie should just kind of be called The Battle of Helm's Deep. I know. The Two Towers doesn't have a ring to it. And it's yeah. too close to saying Twin Towers. And every time I catch myself, I'm like, fuck, I don't want to say that. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, I'm, Yeah, I'm not going to continue with that. It's just too close to that. And they barely yeah. even talk about the two towers. There's only, in the movie, there's only about one scene that even references it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which is fine, because it's not really, it's not really important to this storyline. It is in the, in the grand scheme of things, but. So, I will say right off the bat that this one, I think, um, the pacing on this one is probably the best. I think it well, it really moves the story along so well. It's for such definitely. a begin for a for a movie in the middle that has to mm-hmm. follow behind a twelve Oscar Oscar winning uh, original movie. Mm-hmm. It's hard. I mean, it's way more fast paced, which I like. Like I I prefer the fast paced. Um, you know, everybody goes off in their own worlds and own storyline mm-hmm. kind of vibe. Whereas the first one's, you know, it's setting up things, it's giving you backstory, it's putting people where they're supposed to be, but it's telling you the the lore, um, it kind of setting the rules, and this one kind of, you know, can can explore things a lot more. Definitely. And I feel like it kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week, how, like, the succession of a trilogy, where it's a person or a group of people battling a monster, like, the first movie, The Fellowship of the Ring, they battled their small guy. They battled the little... Or well, he wasn't little, but the demon dude in the Mines of Moira, mm-hmm. and yeah, that that was kind of like their first way of showing how the team works, how what what each person can do, what they can contribute. Mm-hmm. Then this one, that that's when they had like their their first real big battle where they're still kind of facing a little bit of adversity. So it's like they really got to see themselves in that kind of almost negative light, and how they bounce back from it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's all about about facing adversity and um, essentially kind of staying true to your quest in a way. Like, Mm -hmm. last the 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 first movie, everybody kind of supports Frodo and what he has to do, but in this one, they go off into their own tangents and realize that they individually have a bigger role to play in the in the grand story. And so, Mm -hmm. um, if I were to rank the storylines. From just interest, I would absolutely go the Battle of Helm's Deep, and that, that everybody that's involved with that over everything. Um, I would. I'm not the biggest fan of the trees per se. The Ents. The Ents. Yeah. I, I mean, I like when they destroy everything that um, Saruman was building. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. They 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 open the floodgates, and then. Um, the storyline with Frodo and, and Gollum, it's, it's cool. And it, it's, it's kind of, sh- it shows a lot more of character development that Frodo is very forgiving and almost, mm-hmm. almost too trusting to a fault. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that the, the real, the real, um, moneymaker for this movie is the Battle of Helm's Deep. It really is. Oh, 
I mean, that's considered quite possibly one of the greatest battle scenes in cinema history. Yeah, so, I mean, I, compare I it to understand why. I like to compare it to Battle of the Bastards. So I, I, I agree with that on the level of just overall greatness. But I was thinking of um, uh, the siege of or the Battle of the Blackwater. Mm-hmm. I was getting heavy Blackwater vibes. Yep. Oh yeah, from 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 the standpoint of they are holding their ground on a castle or yep. up above them, and then the other the other people. It's not like. It's not a down on the ground battle. It's mm-hmm. one part of the one side is trying to breach the gates. So yeah, I see what you're saying. Well, it also kind of had the same like battle progressment or progression as a uh, like Blackwater too. Mm-hmm. Kind of like okay, the good guys are winning for a bit. They they struck a huge blow on them. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden they're like, oh shit, we are actually outnumbered, and it gets to the point where we're gonna die. Yeah. But then by just some miraculous effort. There's an outside force that comes in and saves the day. Yeah, and you even have the uh, the women and children hiding yep. inside the castle. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It, it's like George R. R. Martin definitely took that battle from Helm's Deep. Yeah, like yeah. there's no doubt about it. Yeah, and uh, I think one of the most badass uh, parts of that entire battle was the beginning, where the orcs are. Doing their battle cries and their oh yeah and they're hitting the ground with their spears. It's almost like was, a haka. Yeah, it was it was badass, very intimidating. Um, but I, I think one of the most the overarching theme for Aragorn or Aragorn during this entire sequence is you really see how much of a leader he is before he's kind of kind of the lone rider, the black rider, mm-hmm. and now you're realizing like okay, this guy really can be a leader and he could take the role. Of, um, who's the king? Theo- Theoden. Theoden. Yeah. He definitely has leadership qualities. He he knows exactly uh kind of how to set up the defense, and mm-hmm. he's also kind of a, like a man's man, right? Like he he's not necessarily yeah. a pompous fool where like Boromir was coming mm-hmm. from the the city of man. He's kind of been, you know, enchanted by the elves. He's kind of been, lived with the common folk. He's um, definitely one of the best fighters. And so it kind of instills a lot of confidence in him to lead other people to fight. Definitely. And, I mean, he, he's got the king's blood in him. So right. He, right. He's, he's pretty much built for it. Plus, he's got that understanding like, hey, I, I kind of know that because it was, what, his grandpa, grandfather that was? Mm-hmm. Does he, he know that at this yeah. point? Oh, yeah, he knows. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, he he's kind of like, hey, I, I know how he ruled and I know what his demise was. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to let that happen to me. Right. So I feel like he's already kind of got that chip on his shoulder to where he wants to be different. He wants to kind of write new history rather than just keep keep on the same path, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I also... Um, I love the scene with Gandalf saving uh, Theoden. Uh, when, uh, when he's basically yeah. just like the, um, like one of the knights from Indiana Jones, where he's like all crumbly mm-hmm. and rankly, and he's basically just a brick wall, mm-hmm. and uh, he basically just he just uh, enchants him to to expel Sauron, who is controlling Saruman, who is controlling Theoden, and you know you can see really well done CGI effects of morphing his. Uh, oh, wrinkled yeah. face it back it back into color and into life it's i thought it was a really mm-hmm. really great scene 
So that that's actually one of the biggest uh, differences between the book and the movie. Uh-huh. But I'll, I'll get into that later. But um, yeah, um, yeah, that that was a badass scene. And seeing how um, Gandalf kind of, I, I I would almost say reincarnated from uh, Gandalf the Grey to Gandalf the White. Yeah, he's almost so a he kind of like mm-hmm. took over uh, Saruman's spot. Right. Is that so, yeah, the, in the books? Is that do they explain that more? Like he still has the same consciousness, right? Yeah, it, it it's kind it's almost in a sense like Bran becoming the three eyed raven, where he still has the consciousness, just so much more. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Okay, but yeah, it's like out of um from what I've seen out out of the three books, this one is the most different from book to movie. Okay. For good or bad, but think? it's like it, it definitely for the good. Okay, cool. The the book. So all right, I'll kind of go into that um that Saruman scene with um Theoden and Gandalf. So in the books, Theoden wasn't under a spell. He just had that Snape looking dude. Oh my god! Yeah. Um, just um, by his I side. Forget, I forget what his name is. Uh, is I, I think it starts with a G. Mouse rat or oh worm tongue worm tongue. Yeah, it's almost like Wormtail. Yep. But yeah, um, so like in the movie, his son just died, the war is going on, he's sick, but he's not under a spell, he's just kind of like super depressed, and the the snake tongue dude is just constantly egging him on and poking him on at the bequest of, just say, Sauron, because that's who's behind everything, but he's the one kind of poking him not really under spell just feeding him more negative things subtle lies to get him to do sauron's bidding mm-hmm. so in the book it's kind of like a bunch of pages of um gandalf just kind of explaining to uh theoden like hey shit, shit's not how it is right now you're being fed all these lies and you're just doing the work of this guy mm-hmm in the books, he he is aging. He doesn't have the like miraculous going back to younger, but he's not like as old as he was portrayed. Okay. But yeah, it. I I understand why they changed that because just having Gandalf just talk and monologue for like five minutes on, oh, this is what's actually going on in the world. You you think it it's a good thing to actually do what you're doing? You should change. Right. No, that action scene is going to be far more visually appealing. Right. Okay. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I guess they did. They wanted to make that a little more dramatic in terms of his. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I think it was, you know, him being a brick wall and just kind of being fed so much um, negativity. Um, yeah. He didn't even care about the death of his son. And so you don't even see his face change. You don't even see him almost even realize it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Keith Urban, who plays, I think his other son or his, or his nephew, is it the nephew? I don't know. That the country singer? No, uh, not Keith Urban, Carl Urban. I, I was about <laughs> to say. What the fuck am I saying? That's like Ed Sheeran in Thrones. Oh, true. Um, yeah, so he was, it's either the son or the nephew, but he basically, uh, decides that in order to save Rohan, he has to go out and lead a cavalry against the the orcs. 
mm-hmm. right? Because they're taking over the land. They they're pillaging and, and murdering, uh, burning down little little bits of town on the way into. Um, I believe that they were on their way to to um, Helm's Deep, right? Or yeah. where, where were the orcs going that they wanted to stop them? Was it essentially that or Helm's Deep was on the way? Well, they they wanted to go to um, Isseldorf. Right. Because uh, they they knew uh, the orcs were going to be there. Gotcha. Um, well, they had all the um, if you want to go the Frodo aspect, all all those guys at the Black Gate. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Speaking of Frodo, I I also think, you know, Gollum can be a little bit much sometimes. Like he can be, you know, the voice can kind of get you if you mm-hmm. if you're not like a fan of the voice. Um, but this is like one of the early, early days of motion capture suits, right? Mm-hmm. So Andy Serkis was actually playing the body part, just like he does with Caesar and Planet of the Apes. Oh, wow. And, um, you can kind of, you can tell that they paid a lot of attention to the, what the bodily movements would be for a CGI yeah. character. Whereas, you know, if you, they just made him completely CGI and based him off of, um, say, a chimpanzee mixed with kind of like a spider in a way, mm-hmm. you could see the, how, like, kind of janky the movements are. But I think they did a really good job for 2002, 2003. Yeah, um, definitely. With what they did. And motion capture at the time is, is basically just putting a bunch of balls on him and then trying to track that. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's impressive. Plus, Andy Circus is facial and mouth impressions you can definitely tell that it's him um oh yeah but that's it's really his trademark where he really um accentuates his lips and kind of like his eye movement um i think Gollum's great his his voice gets to you a little bit kind of annoying but i i think that um his character development was really good in this one as well yeah, I, I like how we actually got to see almost that the ring side of him was a completely separate almost entity. Yeah. I mean, it it, it just shows how just different Smeagol would have been if Gollum didn't take over. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the separation of the two. Yeah, and I think his, his addiction to the ring is almost like an allegory to uh, a drug addiction where, you know, you have a you know kind of two personalities one that can kind of cope with real life and then Mm -hmm. once you get a small taste of what you had been previously or currently addicted to you can fall right back into that kind of um dream state or or uh altered self yeah so i think for his his uh situation it really does impact his um his ability to think his physicality his or it even kind of feeds off into Frodo here where he um, almost like kills Sam at the end mm-hmm. when he gets tackled instead of he tried to kill the uh, the dragon and then Sam yeah. comes up and tackles him and he almost kills him. Um, like I said in the, in the first one, absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? I, I honestly feel like it, it's a little more literal. Kind of like, well, the, you got to remember the books were being written during the, uh, the Nuremberg trials. Mm-hmm. When all these super powerful people in a defunct army who still believe that they have power are, are kind of being called on it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's almost in a sense trying to um, 
trying to kind of go after that and talk about how these people they get the slightest taste of it again and they go off the deep end mm-hmm. yep yep yeah um, that definitely definitely can be taken a bunch of different ways but i like you said just absolute power corrupts absolutely yeah and i I'd like to mention what we had spoken a little bit earlier is the you know frodo's his personality trait in terms of forgiving and trusting mm-hmm. um you know be living in the shire his whole life in such a small community it's almost like you kind of have to trust everybody because they're so tight-knit yeah. um you know you everybody grows something everyone. so like you trust that everybody has enough to feed themselves that they wouldn't commit a crime it mm-hmm. just you know it's kind of different than what sam sam has which is kind of a little bit more of a skeptical look on the world. Um, but he also has a different role. He's kind of there to protect um, Frodo from a lot of these exterior factors and to help him get to Mordor. So um, I think Frodo really wants to trust Gollum, but it's also mm-hmm. that he kind of wants him to be vind- uh, vindicated because he understands that he used to be a human being. And yeah. um, there must be that human being somewhere deep down uh that would appeal to their humanity uh for for lack of a better term and kind of mm-hmm. help them out so I, I I think it's almost to a fault that he has that but um at the end of the day he was right Gollum never really tried to kill them he never really tried yeah. to do anything um he was just kind of being sneaky i I feel like that kind of has to do with their upbringing though like yeah the the Gamgees they they were all very cautious people that mm-hmm. he you saw they never left the Shire whereas like Frodo's family he's he came from a grandfather who was an adventurer right that's a good point he yeah. came and the grandfather too when he had the ring he knew he was pretty much untouchable mm-hmm. so he had this mentor figure who showed no fear right but that's a good call yeah so it's like I I, I feel having their different upbringings and I mean Samwise is a gardener. Right. So it's like, all he does is deal with flowers. He, he doesn't deal with these big things. I mean, when they're um on the... Uh, or, was that Sam or was that uh, Pippin or Took when they um they saw the Oliphants? Like, no one at the Shire is going to believe this. Oh, that was Sam, yeah. Yeah. It was like, just those things, it's like... He, he was always told that all these things are dangerous and he's taking a very cautious look at the entire world and starting to realize it for himself, whereas Frodo kind of already had this preconceived notion like, hey, having fear is not really the best way to live. Mm-hmm. So that, that that definitely shaped their characters. And I'm glad they actually were able to portray that in the movie and not just like had them both be kind of naive little kids, even though they are naive, but naive in their own ways. Right, and um, I think also Frodo knows that they could use as much help as possible. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're facing insurmountable odds when they get separated from the group by his accord, really. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, if he could use the help of someone that is not necessarily close to him, I'm sure he would be fine with that. Um, whereas he wouldn't want to get Aragorn killed or Gimli killed or yeah. uh, especially he- not Bilbo or anything like that. You know, maybe yeah, that's one thing that he's thinking about. I, he may not be that selfish per se, but 
it's definitely a possibility. But you can see there are points, though, where the ring takes over and makes him do things that are constantly questioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and, uh... But I also think, too, um... That... This movie, I think, is just a little... It just... It really is kind of a setup too, which a lot of which a lot of second movies or the sequels do in a trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them do it really, really well. Yeah. Some of them do it really, really bad. For, for example, mm-hmm. one that did it really bad was Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. Go watch that movie if you want to laugh about how stupid it is. <laughs> one that did it really well um, could be your Star Wars, or it could be your, you know. What's a good trilogy? Ah, forget it. But some do it really well. This one, I think, does it like fantastically. And mm-hmm. it, it also leads up to the end battle, which is the Battle of Helm's Deep. So it's not like you're you're watching this movie and it's just leading up, leading up, leading up, and then you have to wait another year to watch The Return of the King, right? It mm-hmm. actually does kind of pay off at the end for you. Yeah. Well, all right. So I want to get into uh, another one of the differences. Right, yep. You were saying how you didn't really like the Ents. So no. the the whole scene with the Ents and Perry and Took when they're going on the um, their a little adventure. Mm-hmm. That that's completely different. <clears throat> okay. So, uh, Mary and Pippin spend a large portion of the movie in the forest with the Ents, mainly Treebeard, just listening to all the stories that he tells, just walking through the forest. Yep. Um, to where they end up getting to the uh, the Ents moot, and they're. So in the books, they're there for a while. They spend an entire day just saying good morning to each other. Mm-hmm. So in the books, uh, Merry and Pippin just continue to hang around while the other Ents actually decide to go to war. Um, but in the movie, they they almost kind of viewed Perry and Took as like luggage for the Ents. Hmm. So they just kind of wanted to give them a little bit more oomph to their story rather than just being carted along by these big trees and doing nothing. Okay. So... Yeah. <clears throat> That's when, um, like, the Ents, or, well, Peter Jackson, that's when he decided to have the Ents not want to go to war, but rather just bring the, uh, well, so it starts off, the first uh, decision that they make is that Perry and Took are not orc spies. They understand that they're hobbits. Mm-hmm. So the, the main thing that, uh, <clears throat> what was his name, Elderbeard? Um, Treebeard. Treebeard, yeah. Yeah, so the the thing Treebeard was going to do was bring them north to the Shire. So, in the movie, uh, one of the hobbits has the idea, is like, hey, we should turn south and, you know, kind of go fight this thing. It gives this huge, large speech, just saying how the ants are actually a part of this world and should have a stake in the oncoming war. Mm-hmm. But Treebeard just did not want to do it. So... Pretty much, uh, movie Pippin, just how I'll refer to him, uh, he comes to realize like what the actual stakes are, mm-hmm. and that if the war doesn't stop here, it's going to spread to the rest of Middle-earth, Yep, and that eventually the Shire will be destroyed. So, as, as Treebeard's kind of taken him to safety, this is when Pippin asks him to go south, past Isengard, stating that is the last thing that anyone would expect. Mm-hmm. He said it was like... Uh, Going into danger doesn't mean you're going to die, or something like that. Like, okay, pretty good line. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, 
they start doing that. Then when um they while they're on their journey, that's when Treebeard sees all the burnt down trees. Yep. Which is when they actually decide to go into war. Right. Whereas in the books, they had already decided to go to war. Okay. All that it's... middle part was kind of just well, not kind of just it was for the movie. Yeah. I think it's I think it was really to give them something to do. Because oh, if they Yeah. Or something meaningful to do. Because if they weren't, they would have just been kind of like scurrying away from the orcs for the entire movie. Which Yeah, exactly. You know, maybe just it would have been too. cool if they had some type of purpose, but probably not. So I think mm-hmm. I think I didn't really like the tree sequence, maybe because it was just a little boring. But then mm-hmm. when they do figure out that there was nothing they killed all those trees and they made all that in in that area his re, the trees react tree birds reaction fuck i can't even say it tree beard's reaction was like in awe or mm-hmm. almost disgust in a way yeah. so uh see for me i so on reddit the r slash trees which is the the weed enthusiast page right they call everyone ents mm-hmm. it's like because we're tree people so right. it was like I, I really wanted to see what the ants actually looked like in the movies, and I wasn't disappointed. Yeah, they do look pretty good. Mm-hmm. I, that, that that CGI is one of the best things of this movie. You can oh, actually yeah, almost definitely, especially almost, for the time. Yeah, you can almost tell, like who the who the actors were playing the faces. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. Great CGI. Yeah, that definitely a great sequel. Oh yeah, it's like. I, I would honestly feel, say um, the first two movies for here rival like the first two Godfathers. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. So going to your trilogy question, uh, looking for a really great second movie, Godfather 2. Yeah, but then it's Granted, the Godfather same. 3 was trash. Yeah. It's, <laughs> God, it's... I said Godfather 3. Hey. <laughs> Godfather 3 was trash, but still it was a great setup second movie. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I almost like Godfather 2 more. Um, I like the first one a lot because of kind of like the everything was kind of happening in New York and Michael mm-hmm. was, it was rising to, to power. But yeah. the second one, I'm not the biggest fan of the Cuba situation. I love the, mm-hmm. the backstory, though, the prequel kind of version. Yeah, definitely. So that's And then, and then I love the end with Fredo, you know, when they get back to Nevada and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. See, I feel like nothing will beat uh, Godfather 1's ending, though. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. Just that, that baptism scene. I know it. I know oh, it. My dog won't stop barking. I can hear the pup. Yeah, that's Angus. Anus? Yeah. Anus. <laughs> they hate us because they Angus. <laughs> <laughs> they hate us because of the Antus. <laughs> Um, um, so this movie was $94 million budget and understandable. It grossed worldwide gross 947 million. Jeez. Yeah. That's so, a times tenor right there. So yeah, they did quite well. And I mean, if you adjust that for inflation, I think it would probably be, so that was, uh, almost, almost 20 years ago. Yeah. So, I don't know. I bet you would be probably one and a half billion. I, I'd, I'd say easily doubled that. Because, I mean, 
Movie tickets back then were what, like seven bucks? Yeah, I think so. Seven or eight bucks. I mean, you're not seeing a movie now for less than 15. Yeah. Yep. Um, There was also some, you know, I also think like the whole Helm's Deep sequence is so impressive Mm -hmm. in terms of, from a director standpoint, I don't even know where to begin or where to start from all the people that have that you have to write that with first of all oh, yeah. write the script based off of the the book keep some things exclude other things add dialogue here remove it there and mm-hmm. then you need to hire all these extras all the set designers all the cgi yep. people but just just consider the extras how many orcs they had and the fact that all the orcs were like six feet tall and, and high and taller mm-hmm. you know you can't really fake that with how many, how they were trying to fight with them and how big they were compared to the rest of them. Yep. And I just, I can't even believe it. Like how much, how do you pay all those extras? How, what does it look like? How much time does it take? How many takes does it take to film it? I mean, it's, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I honestly feel like a lot of those extras probably did it for free. Yeah. Just to say they were in it. I mean, yeah. I mean, how how many people were Lord of the Rings fans before this came out? Probably, like, probably a good amount just from reading the book. Yeah, but then, I mean, people who saw the first movie too. Right, but you got to think like they dropped them so so back oh, to true. back. True. Yeah, they did film them uh, sequentially. So if you think about it, the first one came out. Let me double check. December nineteenth, two thousand one. Yeah. And then two came out in December eighteenth, two thousand two. So wow, I don't think that there was a lot of overlap, and they. I really think that they kind of. Um, I don't know for sure, but of course they had reshoots. But I, I want to say that they shot them pretty back to back. I'm pretty sure they did. Yeah. Um, because you have to not only make sure that nobody ages. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody in the movie was at least past puberty, so you're not going to get, like, one one week Pippin is, like, a little boy, and then two yep. days later, he's a full-grown man, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Which is always tough for continuity. Mm-hmm. It's like, I feel like that's what Harry Potter could have been if they didn't get them filmed pretty consistently. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's hard to do. Um, but... Uh, yeah, that was that's tough because sometimes people are real sticklers for how old people should be, and sometimes mm-hmm. it's not really it doesn't really matter that much. Like um, some like I know that the Percy Jackson ones, like he was supposed to be like in his early teens, and I think they were like twenty years old playing him. Okay, I love those movies. Actually, I prefer the books way more. They're fucking great books. Haven't gone into that. It's all about Greek. But I mean, it, if you want a good book recommendation, King Killer Chronicles. I just got done the first book. Oh yeah, phenomenal. Is it? Is it? Did they make a movie based off of that at all? Or? No, but they're they're uh, in the works of uh, making a show for it. Okay. <clears throat> it's another one of those that has such like intense music. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing about this movie: how great the music is. Yeah. The uh, the orc theme. Yeah. They just have such legendary scores. It's amazing. Yeah. 
I think it's it's Howard Shore. Pretty sure that that's the guy who did it. He's done a couple other pretty good ones. Okay. Um, I I I'm a big fan of soundtracks. Just from mm-hmm. being a fan of like John Williams and uh, um, Hans Zimmer. Yeah. So uh, I'll just get like thirty seconds in about this. Uh, the King Killer Chronicles. So it actually follows um, a guy who's a loot player. And he's a very good loot player, as it is. Uh, when they first started doing talks about the show, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda was doing all the songwriting. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he, he just came out saying that he's not a part of it anymore because just the timing didn't work out. But th- this show is, all, I'd say, probably a good 20% music-based. So mm-hmm. it it's, it's definitely an interesting kind of balance between the two. And if they actually did make a show with the King Killer Chronicles, the the soundtrack would be fantastic. Really? Oh yeah. Interesting. I wonder if they'll adapt it. I I feel like it would be a very easy one of the so it is a fantasy series, but I feel like it's definitely one of the easier ones to adapt. Because the the magic is more science based rather than um like actual like magic wands, dragons, shit like that. Okay. I mean there there are dragons, but it's a very biologically sound version of them. Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Uh let's see what other differences we have. Um uh, I mean, there's a little bit of uh, differences from Faramir. Mm-hmm. Um, well, fun fact, uh, Tolkien, he said that the uh, character Faramir, he modeled most after himself. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and then a good quote from Faramir is, uh, War must be while we defend our lives against a destroyer who would devour all. But I do not love the bright sword for its sharpness, nor the arrow for its swiftness, nor the warrior for his glory. I love only that which they defend. Hmm. Interesting. So, I mean, a, a quote like that, I, I feel like, is very World War II based. Yeah. Like I, f- I feel like that was a lot of the guy's mentality just going into it. Yeah. It's almost like something that you would say, like, after a long night or before like, mm-hmm. a big battle. Something like that. That's yeah. Cool. All right. So, a couple of the differences with Faramir. So, Book Faramir is a, a wise young captain of Gondor, who has an air uh, of Numenor about him. He loves knowledge and he holds Gandalf in a pretty high regard, and he he pretty much states pretty clearly that he would not take the ring if it lay by the side of the road. Hmm. And I mean, in the movie, we we see that's a lot different. Yeah, he was pretty tempted by it. Yeah, um, so his father, Denethor, represents Faramir for a number of reasons. Um, Faramir's mother, Findulius, grew very weak after his birth and actually died while uh, Denethor neglected the boy, Denethor his dad. Um, he has the noble heir around him, and then that, that really Boromir didn't. Mm-hmm. And then Faramir loved listening to Gandalf, who doesn't really get along with Denethor, so it was kind of like almost a collusion aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and just 
Denethor was never really happy with how good his son got over him. And that everyone was kind of taking his side over it. So it's like, Faramir had a lot of daddy issues. And he competed a lot with his dad. Hmm. And... Uh, well, he also kind of competed with his brother, too. And then... Because, I mean, you know, in the movie, the whole thing, well, how did my brother Boromir die? And they were like, we don't know. And then it was until Sam actually told him, yep. the ring turned him mad. Mm-hmm. It was like, it, it was almost like he didn't want to believe it. And he had that, like, almost dark and brooding, just overall aura around him, where in the book, he really wasn't like that. Hmm. He was a lot more even-keeled. I wonder why they but did that. Like, Maybe just to show, like... Another tempted person, uh, like what it what it would do to someone that thinks that they're very, mm-hmm. uh, you know what I mean? Like if, if they if they were that straightforward and kind of cookie cutter in the book, maybe the movie ring is just even more strong, so it yeah. would tempt them, you know. But it was also too kind of um, it almost sounded like he was immune to wanting the ring just because he's never held it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, even if he saw it, he wouldn't have that temp to actually want to hold it. Hmm. It, it. It was weird in the book and like how they kind of translate it into the movie. That was probably the weirdest difference I found because it kind of got like a dark Faramir rather than just the normal right. guy that he should have been. Right. Hmm. Intriguing. That's pretty cool though. Yeah. I mean... It, it, I understand why they did it. it kind of just leads to just uh, just honestly more dialogue rather than anything, but more meaningful dialogue than just filler stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I it works. Not my favorite, but it works. Yeah, I think. Um, who was the elf that came to Helm's Deep? Deep. And fought with them. Oh, uh, b- 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 what's his name? Um, lo- or uh, fuck, what was it? Haldir. Okay. Yeah, I guess it doesn't really matter, but uh, I think that's a big, obviously, a big moment because the man, man and elf have been kind of divided for such a long time. Mm-hmm. It shows kind of two races of people coming together for in a time of need where. It just kind of reinforcing the whole theme of like this movie is really ramping up for a final final uh, battle mm-hmm. and and push. Um, you know, if the trees and the elves kind of set aside their differences and work with the man, um, then you know any species can. If the Hobbit can work with a man and a dwarf and a elf, then mm-hmm. you know. So it's like. Kind of the, hitting that theme of you know they're not really that different if they have a common enemy or a common struggle, right? Because mm-hmm. over time so, they've uh, gone, they've gotten worse and worse. Uh, the relations have gotten worse and worse. The trees have gotten knocked down. The mm-hmm. uh, you know the the cities of man were being uh, deteriorated by by Sauron and Saruman's reach, and uh, everybody has a common enemy now, so they can come together. So in the books, none of that happened. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, Haldir is technically a border patrol officer of the Lothlorien. Mm-hmm. So it's like, why would he be the high and mighty person to come in and say, "I bring you word from Elrond of Rivendale"? 
Like, that's not someone who would really go up and say that. But, I mean, his only involvement was to kind of just hype up the battle. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, in the book, they all did come. Um, but they just didn't have uh, Haldir come in and say all of his lines. Hmm. I guess he didn't... He came in and he was like, we're putting aside our differences and we're going to fight with you, right? Mm-hmm. I guess that was all he really needed to say at that point. But, um... Well, he you said, think that they had more forces than that? That they could have sent? Uh, I, I, I think that was probably it. Really? Mm-hmm. Also, a quote that I think could have been changed. Um, he did. He said, An alliance once existed between elves and men. We come to honor that allegiance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, well, why, why would you come to honor it now? Has it not always been honored? Right. It's like, we come in honor of the allegiance. That that would work. Mm-hmm. That at least make it a little more meaningful. Yeah. But I feel like it was just a filler. Yeah. Something cool. Something cool yeah. to say. The honor of our former allegiance. Just to hype it up. And I mean, he ends up dying anyway, so... Yeah, he ends so up getting, how important he actually was. He ends up getting fucked. Yeah, an immortal creature gets killed. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess they're immortal by if they they can live forever without being natural causes. Right. So, like, if they were just to like, you know, eat a, eat a healthy diet and live amongst the trees for the rest of their lives, they would never die. But if they were stabbed mm-hmm. through the heart, they would die. Right. Well. From how I gather it, it looked like he got an axe to the back of the head. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't think you're really coming back from that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say no. Um, also, the, the battle with... Oh, oh, this this is another kind of scene that reminded me of the Battle of the Bastards. Mm-hmm. So um, when Carl Urban's character... Hold on, I'll figure out his name is leading his cavalry down and then um uh Aragorn kind of realizes that they're the they're the horses of man he mm-hmm. steps out and yells to them and then they come back and circle around him and create this kind of encompassing um maneuver right that kind of mm-hmm. like surrounds them and then they point their their spears at them what the hell's his name Trying to figure out his name. Uh, whose name? Sorry. Played by Carl Urban. Aomer. Aomer. Oh, Aomer. Aomer and his team, or his cavalry, cavalry, comes and they they create this movement mm-hmm. around them where they're completely encompassed. It just reminded me of that scene. Oh, true. From Light of the Bastards, yeah. where they're pushing through. They had their mm-hmm. their their shields up and they're pushing the spears through and killing people one by one. Holy mm-hmm. shit. And then you see John that gets stuck on the bottom of the, ba- of the, the pile and he's like, can't yep. breathe. One of the most claustrophobic and anxiety inducing scenes you'll ever see by far. All right. There is actually one more difference that I, it, it's, I guess big in the grand scheme of things, but not really that big because it ends up happening anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, the ending is different. Okay. So in the book, um, so I haven't seen the third movie, but I'm assuming the third movie is going to start off with, uh, 
Frodo getting taken by that big spider creature? Um, I forget, but we'll, you'll see. Yeah, well, we'll see the next time we do it. But so at the end of the second book, he actually gets taken by the uh, the giant spider creature thing, and like the last line of the book, I'm pretty sure is Frodo is alive but taken by the enemy. So oh. whereas at the end of the, I think I yeah, know so, what you're talking about now. Whereas at the end of the second movie, him and uh, Sam are nice and happy and jovial. Uh, at the end of the book, Frodo's in some deep doo doo. Yes, 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 yes. But he's alive. I remember now. I remember. I remember when. I remember, I remember when I lost my mind. Sing it. Copyright. Anyway, do we want to... uh, Do we want to chat a little bit about some Game of Thrones ending while we're here? Uh, We could always talk about Game of Thrones. (laughs) Switching gears here. I hope you people uh, tuned into our first Lord of the Rings episode because the end of it has a rough draft version of my alternate Game of Thrones finale. Um, yeah, true. Keep keep up the sequential order. Yeah. All right. Um, how do you want to do this? I, I want to kind of try to think of a uh, an ending for the last two books. Mm-hmm. Because, so there has been some talk about The Winds of Winter coming out, the sixth book that uh, George R. R. Martin's putting in the, his Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah, when's that supposed to come out? So the, the, there isn't a concrete date. Yeah. But how hard is he it, working on it? He said all of 2020 he worked very hard. 2021 not so much. Okay. But I'm assuming it should be coming out. Not this year. Definitely not this year. Okay. Maybe next year. Maybe towards like the end of next year. Cool. If he's not dead yet. Hopefully but that gives us some some new some new things to. Uh... To get excited for, because I'm mm-hmm. not particularly excited for the prequel show. And yeah, that that's all kind of, you know. We already know what happens, right? And we know, you know what I mean. Like, I would never make a prequel to something that the ending already sucks to. You know what I mean? Yeah, that that's fair. And I also wouldn't make a sequel to something that is already also amazing, aka Star Wars. Prequels, yeah, prequels for the Star Wars are actually good. The sequels that take place after uh, Return of the Jedi, why why do you need to make a sequel after something that's so great? Eh, mm-hmm. Those are my two cents. Granted, the only Star Wars I've seen is Star Wars number one, so the first prequel, I guess. Oh my god. Favorite character, Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> You're fucking kidding me. Have you ever seen any other one? Uh, I saw the first one they released, and I don't know. I found the plot kind of hard to follow. Well, granted, I, I kind of thought there was no plot. Well, now that you're in the fantasy kind of worlds and you're interested in all this kind of uh, lore, I think it would be worth it. Now that you're... Yeah, maybe. Maybe I'll try to give it another shot. Well, maybe we'll do it at some point here. Yeah. Go, go through the first movie. Yeah. Well, here, before we get into Game of Thrones talk, let, let's kind of do our, our little categories for Two Towers. Okay. Um, who was your favorite character in this movie? Um, I think Aragorn. 
Okay. He shows his true colors. He's he's presenting himself as a king figure. He's a leader. He he's does some badass. Yeah, he's yeah, that girl. That girl has the emotional intelligence of like a jackrabbit cuz she literally <laughs> she she falls in love with him 30 seconds into meeting him. <laughs> yeah. So, I would have going to go him. Okay. How about you? Uh, I was going to go Gimli. Gimli. I feel like this movie, uh, Gimli's kind of comedic relief, had a good break. Because it, it, overall, this was a pretty heavy film. Yeah. It's like, it, if, if there wasn't those little Gimli wisecracks, um, it, it would have been a lot darker of a movie. But Gimli, like, so when Aragorn and Gimli are on the bridge, or went out that little side door about to jump on the bridge, yep. Gimli's like, you have to toss me. I can't make it. I can't jump that far. You have to toss me. Yeah. Just don't tell the elf. Yeah. That's a great scene. Like, th- those those little scenes to where pretty much you think these people are going to go to almost certain death. It's like, dwarf tossing. Oh, okay. Or then when him and Legolas are on the, uh, the top and Gimli's like, I already got two. And then Legolas says, I got 19. Yeah. <laughs> And then yeah. you just hear Gimli counting the entire time. 17, 18, 19, up 20 and 21, 22. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good, that's, that's, uh, honestly, you're right. It's much needed in this type of movie. Like, yeah. You, when they go to, they find and they think that, uh, Pippin and Mary are dead. Like, that's mm-hmm. a, that's a heavy scene. And he, he does add a little bit of relief there, but they were pretty, they were pretty distraught about that. Yeah. Um,. That, be, that being said, who's the best actor? Um, you know, I I, I got to give it to uh to Smeagol on this one, because mm-hmm. I I feel like it it like I was saying it really portrayed um just kind of like the split personality that he has between Smeagol and Gollum, mm-hmm. and how how much of the outside forces really affect on what's coming out. Because it was like when they were all traveling everyone was trusting each other pretty well well granted Samwise wasn't but Frodo and Smeagol were good and you get that scene where Smeagol's like be gone I don't want you anymore whatever he says and Gollum just kind of leaves my process there's a good there's good progress and then something happens to where the trust is kind of broken a bit and you see Gollum slowly make his way back in. I, I felt like that, especially with um, the whole motion capture thing, the dude doing all the motions that Smeagol's doing, the fo- the faces, the voice at the same time. Yeah, I, I would give it to Smeagol for this one. Yeah, that's great. Because he actually had a bigger part rather than just being a little annoyance. Yep, I'm in for that. And I think... Uh... I think a close second would probably be King Theoden, you know, just to show his his range as an actor for being that fucking brick wall of a human being to a, a big leader and, mm-hmm. you know, having to deal with his son's death when he kind of breaks down and cries in front of his grave and then he gets stabbed. You know, it's a whole kind of a molar, roller coaster of emotions for him. So I'm going to go that guy. I could see that. To be honest, I was kind of getting some uh, some good old Bobby Baratheon vibes from him. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Hell like yeah. he he was very close Bobby B. to being him. Go get the breastplate stretcher. We're going to hunt Riser back. 
Um, I'm, I'm sure we can both agree that the best battle in the movie was Helm's Deep. By far. Um... Hmm. What do you think the most useless scene was? Useless? Yeah. Um. Um. Probably. Oh fuck. Probably some of the scenes with Faramir. Yeah, I think that that kind of drag on a little bit. Like obviously they were talking strategy and like where the orcs were gonna go and what they were gonna target. That was cool. And then they kind of get to that mm-hmm. battle, and up until the point where, up and up until the point where the dragon kind of comes down, it was I. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh man, yeah, he's tempted by the ring. I get it. Move on. You know. I felt like there was a little too many uh, blindfold horseback rides. Mm-hmm. Felt like that was a very big just overarching theme of this movie yeah or uh when they're running <laughs> the three of them are running yeah. through the hills <laughs> mm-hmm. it's just like four straight scenes with just them running just through yeah. rocks and i get it i love the cinematography and i love the scenery and that they, they shot that on scene on, on site in new zealand mm-hmm. but uh yeah they're just running around it's funny <laughs> yeah but hey they're running around in gorgeous scenery right right um let's see best monster um so, all right when the black gate opens i like the uh those two like grizzly bear looking motherfuckers i was gonna say the same thing i was thinking of those guys i i, I hope we see them fight i'm trying to remember Maybe we do. I'll, I'll think about Because I, I feel like they could cause some damage. Um, almost like in a... In um. Fuck. Uh, Infinity War. Mm-hmm. When they're in Wakanda and all the space aliens start coming down and they have those like rideable, like almost rhino-looking thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And those I, are in the, I feel like those could be pretty badass. Those are in the final battle too, at the Avengers compound, right? Like the like oh the, yeah, the gorilla uh-huh. looking guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, I think that kind of does it. Best, I did think I had best heroic gesture. Um, probably the scene where they were, um. Aragorn and Gimli jump off onto the uh, yeah you know what I mean onto the take on the bridge yeah I think that's pretty great that was mm-hmm. like an ultimate moment for them kind of saved like pretty much everybody you know yeah send the women and children uh, out the back is there a way out yes do it and honestly I would say um, Theoden actually saying yes let's ride out in the face of glory mm-hmm that that's very kind of fitting for right now and what's going on with the the world climate. Yeah. Leaders actually taking charge rather than just sitting idly and getting locked away in some other country. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was a good scene where they wrote the right down. Mhm. Yep. 
Joel. All right. Game of Thrones. So, I'm going to take it from more of a book standpoint. Mm-hmm. So, in the books, there I, I remember talking about uh, Young Griff. I, I want him to be the Targaryen that makes it. So Granted. You, so, you want Daenerys to die and him to kind of step up? Well, not really so much that. Um, so, there, there's the conspiracy that he is a tar- Targaryen, and then there's a conspiracy that he is not a Targaryen. Um, but he could also be a Blackfire, um, which are like an off or a Targaryen offshoot that mm-hmm. were the ones that started the Golden Company. Um, yeah, so there, there's a lot of different things, but I'm banking on that he's actually Aegon Targaryen, and um, that I could see a compromise happening where him and Daenerys get married and they become dragon riders again. Okay. Yeah. So that's at least coming from the Targaryen standpoint. Um, I don't know. I feel like John and the Night King should have some big epic battle. Well, granted, in the books, the Battle of the Bastards hasn't even happened yet. Um, fucking, so the, the book was actually, or, um, George R. R. Martin has said, yeah, so me starting the next book, it's starting off with, uh, the Battle of the North and the Battle in the South. Okay. So the Battle of the North is obviously the Battle of the Bastards, which needs to happen. And then, um, the one in the South, I think is, um, when... The crown starts taking over, uh, like the veil and shit, or not the veil, um, High Garden. I think that's what he means by the South, or maybe just over in Essos. I mean, this is when Daenerys is still taking over shit. Right. Yeah, I think. Um, I think. I don't know. I kind of. I. I. I would like for. Um, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of blank there. Yeah. Um, oh, in the books, Arya is still in the house of black and white. She's like just at that point where she's kind of leaving the house. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see where she goes from here. Okay, so you're talking um, all... Right now, this is all just, like, what you think would happen in the book. Yeah, what'll happen in, like, the next upcoming books. Okay. Uh, I feel like Arya's definitely gonna go kill the phrase. Um, that makes sense. I, I, I would kind of hope she would move south a little quicker rather than just going straight north. Because, I mean, her and Sansa were never on good terms. All she has is John, and he's at the wall. Right. But granted, she doesn't know what's been going on. Right. I, I feel like she'd be able to find out very quickly if she already had news that the phrase uh, killed Rob and everyone. Well, she was there. Yeah, she know. was there. I, I, I feel like she'd be able to like understand what's kind of going on and then make an assessment from there. Yeah, I think uh, where, where is, where is Sansa at this time? Is she still with the, at the Vale? 
Uh, yeah. So, Sansa's at the veil. Um, she doesn't leave the veil. She never goes north to Ramsey. Mm-hmm. Um, Sansa had a friend named uh, Jane Poole, who ended up being mistaken for actually Arya, and she was married to um, Ramsay. Now, Theon's still there, but Theon knows that that's not Arya, but she's still trying to convince him that she is. So it's like, Theon's kind of going through a weird mental thing, like, oh, I got a lie for him, but now I got a lie for her, and he doesn't want to disappoint his master because Reek is obedient. and. <laughs> Reek. <laughs> I love that scene where he's like, oh, you want this sausage? <laughs> you know, um, so his sister, uh, Alfie Allen, is Lily Allen, the singer. And did you hear that they were trying to get her to play Osha? Really? Yeah. And the, the first scene that they showed her was when Theon stuck his pants down or stuck his hands down her pants on the horse. I was like, no, my brother's not doing that to me. Yeah, that's uh, a bit awkward. I don't think so. I don't think that would work out too well. No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe next time we'll come with uh, just like a quick uh, like paragraph that we want to continue. Yeah, it's true. This will continue something. This could continue right after Battle of the Bastards, right? Or right before it? Uh, technically right before it. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, see, I haven't watched the show. I haven't watched, like, the show mm-hmm. since uh, 2018, 17. Okay. Because I had watched it all until they got to season 8, which was 2019, mm-hmm. and a severe letdown. So. Yeah. Major, major cock to use. Yeah, so I'll have to I'll have to remind myself on what everything is, but mm-hmm. we'll get to that anyway. Next week, we're thinking of doing an album, not something that we would make because we are musically challenged. Just kidding, Jimmy. Play, I, you know, Jimmy plays the old ukulele, and I play the saxophone. So, well, I also play the flute. Oh, that's I true. Did the drums, guitar. I play bass guitar in a music video, trumpet. Play b- bass guitar in a music video? Yeah, I'm fucking famous, bud. <laughs> Holy shit. Were I could have actually... swore I showed you this. Were you actually playing in it? Yeah. You were playing I mean, the... it's not my band, but I, I learned all the chords real quick because oh, bass guitar crazy. is pretty easy. Damn, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very interesting. So, f- fun little story. Um... I was in that music video, let's say it was a Sunday. And then the Friday of that, like next week, I was on a movie set. No shit. So it was like over the span of one week, I felt like I was like almost an A-list celebrity. Going from a music video shoot to a movie set. What was the movie? Uh, So... uh, the original title was called A Hell of a Storm. I forget what it's called now. But it's supposed to be... Um, or take place in Atlantic City. After Hurricane Sandy, this guy's like opening up a restaurant or some shit. Mm-hmm. And 
they came on our island and they're like, hey, well, to my buddy, they're like, hey, we like your house. Can we film a movie in it? No shit. So, yeah, for, for a solid week, they just had a big ass movie studio in their house. That's pretty sick. Funny part, funny part is they had a sex scene in his bed. <laughs> no way. Yep. Actually his bed? Yeah, actually his bed. So they let them like use the entire house and mm-hmm. all the furniture and everything? Yep. Holy shit. <laughs> um, let me get a cast list. That's pretty sick. They shot um, this movie called The Place Beyond the Pines at my high school. I don't know if you've okay. ever seen it, but uh, no, I was I was like two feet away from Eva Mendez, and I talked to Dane DeHaan. You know Dane DeHaan? I've heard the name. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, do you remember when we were on Facetime with Giselle? What? Do you remember that? When was that? Super Bowl freshman year. Giselle. Oh shit! Wait. You remember that, right? Yeah. Because someone who who is is honestly completely dead to me, um, somehow her dad was in a box during the Super Bowl with Giselle and uh, Julian Edelman's wife. Holy shit! Yeah, I remember that. I f- totally forgot. Yeah. That's so funny. That was a great Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. What a comeback! Well, Twenty-eight three. I remember that. I mean, I I understand the Patriots won. But it was annoying listening to She Who Will Not Be Named. Just, oh, I fucking told you, bud. Right now, that <laughs> Why was more is it Canadian. Irish? That was more Canadian than anything. Irish Canadian Bostonian. <laughs> like, oh, uh, whatever Boston sounds like. Park the cot, have it, yad. Oh, fuck you. How you like them apples? Fucka. Hey, you like apples? Well, I got that girl's number. How you like them apples? Fucka. I love listening to uh, Bill Burr answer questions if he's from Southie or not. Oh, my God. It's like, no, I'm not from fucking Southie. I grew up in the suburbs. He's the best. Mm-hmm. He's coming up here in the summer. Is he? Yeah. I'm pretty sure he always stops in Atlantic City. Yeah, I think he just did that somewhat recently, I think. Oh, um, oh that's... Sometime in, like, September. I, I said something, and... Uh, Siri went off on my computer. Holy and shit. I was like, uh-uh, I didn't get that. Stop fucking listening to me. Yeah, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Hmm. Alright, so, what, what kind of album should we do next week? I like your idea about the old, the old Chains album. Oh, a little Fleetwood. Fleetwood, and then we can maybe do maybe do Nirvana too. Fleetwood. Yeah, we could do Nirvana one. Cool. Yeah, I feel like two albums would probably be best. Two, yeah, two's perfect. All right, so then we'll do uh, the Chain uh, Dreams one because they're on the same album. Mm-hmm. And then what? Uh, should we do uh, Baby Dick in the Pool one? That's never mind. I think yeah, I think we should do that. That's great. Okay. That, that's probably like their baby dick in the pool <laughs> their, their most famous one that's probably what they should have named it baby dick in the pool <laughs> it's a catchy album right yeah catchy band name you guys going to see baby dick in the pool tonight yeah I hope they play their their favorite album uh, dirty diaper in the shallow end 
Which one of you took a fudge monkey in the urinal? <laughs> but their their best hit is uh, city city sludge baby banker. Uh, oh god alright folks we'll catch you on the flippity flip alright guys peace out Seacrest